0: Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas. We haven't done a song in a while, just by the way. Uh, in the line of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura, I'm Cody Fields, president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff at WestminsterEffects.com. You can join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. You can support the show at anchor.fm. There's a link in the show notes. And hey, if this show has helped you out somehow, share the show comment, all that good stuff, Facebook and Instagram, leave us a five-star review. We don't care if it's honest, just give us five stars, even if it's been detrimental to your life. Give us five stars. <laughs> <laughs> but we we have, uh, I have with me in person... Hey,
1: everybody, Bradley Cox, pastor of Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And
0: uh, old Lutheran John is not joining us, so we are deprived of the sexy boat captain today. Uh, so I guess we'll just jump in, Let's right? do it. Why not? Uh, So, a couple weeks ago in the Doxology podcast lounge, friend of the show and local to us, uh, Hannah Forrester asked, why is there such a correlation between mainstream Christianity and motivational speakers and motivational quotes? She goes on to elaborate, I currently work for a faith-based mortgage company. Our headquarters is right outside of Charlotte, and our company has Partnered with the likes of Elevation Church and a lot of the other bigger churches in the Charlotte area, it feels like every week, especially this year, uh, we've been forced to sit in Zoom calls with the, some kind of motivational speaker. And she admits, maybe I'm just cynical, but I personally never have been quote unquote motivated by these types of speakers, and find myself rolling my eyes more than wanting to actually do what they're telling me. And maybe this is, she admits, also maybe this is something God needs to change in me. I don't know. As someone who came from a large corporate liberal banking institution, I can say this is not typically the norm. We had some quote-unquote motivational stuff that was pushy on the sales side, but never this frequent and never seminars on quote-unquote achieving all you can be and quote-unquote reaching for your dreams like I've experienced with my current job and from what I've seen from other faith-based corporations. Thoughts? So, I mean, <laughs> there, there's a lot there. Obviously, uh, whether you want to talk about the the nature of Christians owning businesses, which is kind of what's about going say, on here, not <laughs> to say
1: you and your post mill self in Westminster, right?
0: Face. Right, absolutely. Uh, so there there is that connection. There's also the connection that's been. Uh, I I guess you you call it attractional. You would call it the seeker sensitive movement, or what have you, where they seem to try to reel people in with some nice feel good type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Am, am I am I saying that correctly? I, I think so. I I, I,
1: I think I think there's 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 really two things there, and this might even be a bigger discussion. Yeah, is. You can have an attractional model church that privileges evangelistic teaching and evangelistic Mm -hmm. services. Right. But doesn't privilege the listener in the same way that motivational speaking might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it still privileges the gospel Mm -hmm. and the necessity of salvation. Right. um, But it's not really like... It's not really helping the people that are already saved as much other right. than just rehearsing the gospel, maybe
0: you could think of like that classic Willow Creek model exactly you could think uh, even a lot of Rick warren's type of stuff
1: yeah um, but the, I think that the attractional model church has morphed uh, in a lot of ways, and there you know you, you find all all types within a spectrum of what you might call attractional model churches, and there mm-hmm. are people who quote-unquote, pastor these kinds of churches, speak on the regular, are very popular, but really they present more as gurus. Yeah, more of a self-help kind of thing. Exactly, counseling from the pulpit, which that, I have all kinds of problems with that, Um, not the least of which is what I've already said. There's a privileging of the listener and the attracting of the listener uh, over and above... The sacred scripture
0: i've kind of thought along those same lines lately of uh, how sad is it that so many of these churches and, I, and i'm not saying that their motives are bad right but it's sad that they miss the fact that church is for the saints Mm-hmm. It's for the saints to gather and worship. That's right. Right? That's right. And and you have people who, who go there every week, and they don't know exactly what they're missing, but they know they're missing something. Mm-hmm. And they're effectively spiritually starving yeah. because there's no meat. <laughs> there's no substance. Often. Well, often.
1: Well, I've had people in my life challenge me on this because I, like, I think there are some parts of my emotional response to this topic mm-hmm. that are... Just simply a reflection of my bent. Yeah, and then I think there are some parts of my response that are legitimate criticisms. That right, I, I think I kind of tend to agree with R.C. Sproul that a seeker-sensitive church is an oxymoron. Right, right. We we a church. It's not a church if what you're doing is building a quote unquote again, worship service around unbelievers who can't worship the living yep. God. Unbelievers who are unregenerate and can't um, can't really experience the power and presence of God in the scriptures being, you know, exegeted uh, by a gifted teacher. Like that, that something has to happen. God has to do something in them before they can even begin to participate in that. Yep. So uh, I tend to agree with him on that. At the same time, I think, Different types of churches with different emphases are necessary. And I think Res. I was just having a conversation with somebody about this yesterday. I think Res. one of the, the things that God has called us to be and do is a church that ministers specifically to those people who they know they need more mm-hmm. and they're not sure where or how to get it. Right. I right. think that's, that's something God's called us to do and, and ch- the kind of church he's called us to be. And I'm not saying every church should necessarily be that, because I know that there are other churches in town who don't necessarily – they don't facilitate church the way we do exactly with the same kind of bent, but they are effective. They're, they're, and they're clearly helping.
0: wrong, right? <laughs> so right. <I'm> <laughs> but they're effective.
1: They're helping people. and But yet I, we, I find that a lot of people come to Res and go, I've been longing for this. Right. I've been I've been a Christian for a while and I've I've heard more scripture in the service today than I've ever heard in my life. Right.
0: And that that was even what brought me to Res. Exactly. Even, yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean that's that's really good. Is yes, we we get that different churches have different DNA. Yeah. Like and, you, and
1: I'm not saying Res is better. I'm, I, I don't want to go am. there. I am. Sure. Maybe, but I'm not. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to say Res is better than such and such church. Or right. so, that I'm better than such and such pastor. That's not what I mean. Right. I just know that it's it's like we've talked about on the podcast before. In Ephesians, Paul says, "We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus." for good works which he prepared in advance for us to do right i'm not called to every conceivable good work Mm -hmm. i'm called to the good works that he's prepared for me and res the same way uh res is not called to be a church that does everything we're Mm -hmm. called to do a certain few things well um because that's who god has sent us that's the gift set that's been gathered here at this place and so yeah I, I. I'm not saying res is better, I just think that's our bent,
0: yeah. And, and one aside before we get more properly back into the question mm-hmm. is you know, there's been, and I think this is probably a Western thing in the last to maybe 300 years is we've turned evangelism into, well, I need to get them into church as, exactly. as if, uh, the, the normal old lay person is incapable of actually evangelizing their lost family and friends. Exactly. Like it, you are capable of, like, you know enough, right? It, it doesn't have to be like you don't have to get into that. You probably shouldn't if you're just evangelizing. You probably shouldn't get into the hypostatic union. Right? No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you shouldn't. You shouldn't probably uh, get into things like perichoresis <laughs> or. <laughs> Or or post millennialism versus pre millennialism, or anything yeah, like that. Exactly. Like you you know enough to effectively present the gospel, and it's up to God to do that work. Yeah, you right? know
1: Andy Stanley put out a book years and years ago. Uh, I think it came out not long, either right after or before I came to Res. It was called Invest and Invite, uh, or maybe it was even a chapter in his book. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole notion was um, you. Build relationships as a Christian who's mm-hmm. who a part of this church, you build relationships with people in your spheres of influence and you invite them to church with you because we are a church that's committed to share the gospel to them yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. So your job is get them here. We'll take care of sharing the gospel. Right. And I get that to a certain degree, but yet at the same time, I'm like, I'm like you. We we have, I don't know, like conditioned our church members to, to have no frame of reference for what it means to be the church scattered. Right. Um, after we've been the church gathered. And that, that to me is
0: disappointing. Yeah. So back into yeah. more properly the the question, why is there such a correlation between the big name? Uh, I guess you could call it mega church Christianity, like the, the celebrity pastor almost. And that's not to use that uh, in a, it's not to rip them, you know. Just because they have a big name doesn't mean they're a terrible person or a heretic or whatever. Uh, but what's why is there such a correlation between these big name preachers and big name Christianity with motivational type of stuff? Because uh, and and I particularly see it. And a lot of the stuff he puts out is really good in terms of leadership. But like Craig Rochelle. Uh, I love his leadership podcast. Uh, yeah, like I'm I I really don't care for his preaching. <laughs> uh don't care for a lot of the stuff that he does at his church. I'm not saying he's a heretic, I just don't care for it. Uh but a lot of the one liners he has with his leadership stuff is like, oh man, that is true.
1: Anyway. I, I, I listened to um a portion of one of his p- leadership podcasts this morning. And I really appreciate when he's talking about that. Um mm-hmm. You know, I I don't think that he has a clear distinction in his mind between what he does on a leadership podcast that's devoted to all things leadership organization and <clears> what he does on Sunday morning in the pulpit. Yeah, I think and, I, and I'm becoming increasingly convinced of this, that my job as a pastor, teacher, shepherd is to exegete the scriptures. It's to mm-hmm. open the book and, and, and invite people to look with me.
0: Whereas someone like Al Mohler, who has written on leadership mm-hmm. really well and spoken on it a lot, uh, he does a great job distinguishing those two. He, like, he like does he, a fantastic he, job is, with that. he is absolutely obsessed with Winston Churchill, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but he's not necessarily going to bring that into a sermon. That's right. <laughs>
1: because life skill improvement... Um, leadership development um is not the gospel. Right. Right? There there like I listened to an audiobook recently, about half of it, and I got bored with it. <laughs> um but there were some good things in it. It was called Hero Maker. Okay. And the the premise of the book is or really what the book's about is apprenticeship and what principles we can learn about apprenticeship. Yeah. So Jesus's ministry with the 12 and then the three yep. within the 12. And it's, it's, you know, instead of trying to be the hero as a leader, I want to make heroes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's a great, that's a great thought. Yeah. But the essence of what Jesus came to do is not right. apprenticeship. The ultimate essence of it. He did develop apprentice mm-hmm. and he did, uh, take twelve men, basically eleven that that stuck with him, and the world was changed as a result right. of three and a half years of him pouring into them, mm-hmm. and of course the outpouring of the Holy Spirit
0: yep. in their lives. But it, it's similar to the the book I just finished and posted a little review of it on my personal Instagram and such of the Maker versus the Takers, which analyzes uh, the political and economic situation during Jesus. Earthly ministry. Mm-hmm. And you can look at that thing, that situation. And, and the book actually did a good job of differentiating like, this isn't the gospel, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was explicit, like, Jesus wasn't a socialist and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, but here's probably what was going through Jesus' head when he was turning over tables <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And, and that kind of thing. But that wasn't the point. Yep. Just like this apprenticeship type of stuff.
1: I think, like, I think there are two, at least two. Errors that I think it could contribute to this blending, this weird mm-hmm. mixture that we're talking about, and one is um, that we don't have a clear distinction between what should happen on the, you know, behind the pulpit on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and what might happen in a, in a, you know, a thematic small group setting yeah. or a podcast where we're focused on all things leadership or life skill development, like a parenting class that we put on at Resurrection Church, you know, several times over the years. That's not. Yes, we're going to go to the scriptures. We want to root our ideas about parenting in biblical text. Yep. But that's not necessarily a time where we're going to exegete a large portion of scripture. We're going to talk about it, and some practical things about parenting. Right. Some of which we learn from experience. Sometimes we'll bring in experts, mm-hmm. you know, child psychologists and what have you, that come in and help parents with some things. But that's not. The same thing that happens when the church gathers for worship. So we don't, that's part of the problem of what's given rise to what, uh, what's her name? Hannah. Hannah is talking about is the lack of a clear distinction. The second thing I would say, and this is something I harp on, is the tendency for pastors to principalize narratives. Mm -hmm. In scripture is you take the gospels or Genesis or Exodus or, you know, Numbers or or, uh, Joshua or the book of Acts, and you principalize yep. and allegorize things, and you turn the scriptures into this life skill, life improvement, how to make things go well and better and
0: easier and smoother and more prosperous for you. Or even how to goose God into into doing those things for you a lot of times. And suddenly the Bible becomes <clears throat> this handbook
1: for my success. Right, and God becomes my you know, my do boy, mm. to, to make this happen, and and that sounds extreme. And I don't think all pastor, teacher, motivational speakers that do this intend for this to happen, but it does happen. And I I think I think the lines get fuzzy at that point. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think there was a period of time where I wasn't as clear as I am now about the difference between counseling from the pulpit and truly standing up and teaching the scriptures. Yeah. Like now when I prepare a sermon and this happened just a couple of weeks ago, I exegete the text and I come to the point where I feel like in my preparation, all right, I see what's here and I feel like I'm ready to stand up and unpack this with my, Mm -hmm. my church but there's a little part at the end maybe or maybe even the middle and sometimes I you've heard me do this lately I'll say mm-hmm. parentheses yep yep and I and then when I get to the end of it I'll say close parentheses right and that might be some little practical nugget
0: because some, because scripture all of scripture does apply to life it does. somehow
1: it does and it's almost like not not that I would compare myself <laughs> to the apostle Paul because even when he did this it's recorded as inspired text as he said I not the lord say thus and so. Mm, yeah. Right? And yeah. so there there are times in messages where I'll say look, here's a little piece of advice. Right. Here's here's a little nugget that is applicable to what we're seeing in the text or might might be a thought that stems from what we're seeing in the text. But I try to make clear that I'm not necessarily saying this is what this text is about. I'm just inserting mm-hmm. something here that I think might be helpful either at the end or yep. in the middle. And I, I try to make that distinction clear when I teach.
0: Awesome. Yeah. You, you could almost – this kind of just came into my head is um, Christianity isn't about making – taking your life and making it better. That's it, right. It's it's about having a new life. <laughs> Period. A
1: new life that's totally focused on the glory of God and joy in Him, even in the midst of suffering.
0: Yeah, which, uh, and that's that's another criticism is a lot of these more motivational type of preachers never really address that at all. Mm -hmm. They might, you know, well, if you're struggling. Well, mm-hmm. define struggling. Did someone just lose a leg in a car wreck? Because mm-hmm. that's a different level of struggling than, uh, than you and your wife getting in a little uh, five minute argument that wasn't all that big of a deal last night. Exactly.
1: <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly.
0: Like, th- those are entirely different things where, you know, one of them is going to literally uh, affect the rest of that person's life. It's true. Particularly if they're athletic. Right right, right, right. Like, I think of Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from the, uh, I guess, now the Washington football team. <laughs> <laughs> that is so weird, isn't it? It, it is. Um, I actually found, uh, I was cleaning some stuff out, and I found a, an old blanket that was Washington Redskins themed. And I was just like, I might want to hold on to this for collector's value now. <laughs> Seriously, <be> <laughs> But anyway, like uh, for those who don't know, Alex Smith, what, two years ago? Uh, you know, professional like high level quarterback uh in the NFL mm-hmm. uh, gets rolled up on and has a compound fracture in his leg, and he almost lost his leg, and you're talking about millions of dollars that he would lose out on right, in, in potential right. future contracts,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah
0: and so that and and I think, oh boy, okay, we're good, mm-hmm. okay, we're good, uh sorry, mm-hmm. computer issues, <laughs> <laughs> but I think he might actually be a Christian from what I heard. Some of the stuff, Um, but like you talk about losing a leg (laughs) and (laughs) Mm. losing out on literally millions of dollars is an entirely different level of suffering than what some of these guys are willing to wrestle with.
1: Yeah. On the flip side of this coin, we do have the Book of Proverbs in the Bible. Oh yeah. Which you know, Proverbs is the way to read Proverbs. It's 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 not motivation. Proverbs is not the motivational speaker section of the Bible, mm-hmm. but it is a it's it's inspired text about how life typically works. Yep, like that's the way you need to understand Proverbs. This is how life typically works. So there are proverbs in Scripture that are helpful towards yes, understanding life, and in some cases, life improvement. Yeah. Living well, living better. So the Bible does help us in that regard. Yep. But that you can't isolate Proverbs as though that's God's primary concern. Right. You know, his primary concern obviously is his own glory. Um,
0: Proverb and- Proverbs is like. We have the law, which reveals God's character, mm-hmm. and then Proverbs is, well, here's how you live in light of that. Exactly. It, generally.
1: Right. It's not <laughs> – and, and I think people tend to dumb Proverbs down and don't mm-hmm. see it in that context yeah. of what you're talking yeah.
0: about. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, that was actually pretty legit for – cramming that into what 20 minutes or so yeah great question Anna. yeah fantastic question throw us more of those people and yes. we will answer them i would say just a
1: little maybe a little word of encouragement to her um your distaste for this might be coming from almost an instinctive recognition of yep how how two things here have gotten blurred together that that Mm-hmm. shouldn't always be that right. way and, and if a pastor is giving a motivational speech at a company that you work for mm-hmm. my advice would be to prayerfully ask the Lord to help you sift through that mm-hmm. glean from it whatever he wants you to glean and then chunk the rest Yep, and don't get overly upset about it
0: good stuff. Inquisition? Yes sir This is the Inquisition, where you, the listener, contribute to the show via a weekly post where you ask us questions, and we kind of answer them on the fly. Well, I mean, honestly, that's pretty much the entire podcast, anyway. But <laughs> we do we do no show prep except for me putting together the questions. And as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, who asks, "Which figure in church history do you think needs a Hamilton-like?" musical not necessarily rap and hip-hop or r&b influencing be any kind of musical he says, "But the idea of someone playing John Piper in a rap battle against Joel Osteen would be kind of awesome." <laughs> oh man, like
1: Eight Mile with jo- you know
0: <laughs> with the improv- Oh man, I can so
1: see that. There Somebody a- needs to take the the actual clip of that and put their face. Oh
0: my goodness! There is, there is that picture of uh, John Piper uh, throwing up the the West Side symbol. Have you ever uh, seen that? I have seen that. I yeah, um, that's fantastic. I'm fighting oh, Joel Osteen <laughs> in a rap battle. I mean, you got to think of like, I think
1: <laughs> <laughs> you got to put. Can you imagine that final rap scene battle of oh, Eight yeah, Mile absolutely. with their faces absolutely. on there? That would be fantastic.
0: Um, I got to think someone like Athanasius would be epic enough. Most most guys in church history, like you got to think Thomas Aquinas would be a terrible uh musical. Like he oh, yeah. he was a nerd. No. No. Uh he was he kind of weird.
1: Uh, I think I mean, like this may seem too obvious and easy, but Martin Luther. Oh yeah. I mean when you if you you know Hamilton, my kids absolutely love
0: mm-hmm. Hamilton. I mean I actually they, haven't seen it. Sorry yeah, my kids I'm uncultured. Ate it uh
1: my son can if you if you've <clears throat> listened to the Hamilton music, the the song uh Guns and Ships, I believe it's called mm-hmm. where the guy who raps in that song—I forget how many words a second he's rapping. It's so yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. And my son can almost do it. Mm. It's amazing. Um, but I could so see just the way that 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 uh, musical unfolds. I could see Martin Luther. I think could be an equally interesting story.
0: Yeah, Martin Luther, Athanasius being exiled mm-hmm. seven times. I think it was. Yep. Um, ooh, yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Oh yeah. You'd have him in a rap battle with Hitler. (laughs) Dude, that would be epic. (laughs) Epic. Um, I think even like John Knox. John Knox? Uh, You could have him in a rap battle with Mary, Queen of Scots. (laughs) 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 my my favorite i think i've told this story on on the podcast but my favorite john knox story is when he was put on a slave ship for being protestant Mm -hmm. and the captain of the ship was taking around a portrait of the virgin mary for all the prisoners to kiss Hmm. and to kind of coerce them into back into catholicism Mm -hmm. and it comes to knox and everybody knows like Knox is kind of legit. Like mm-hmm. he he doesn't care what anybody thinks, mm-hmm. and he's holding the portrait and he says, "Our lady is light enough. Let her learn how to swim." And he tosses it overboard. <laughs> that's awesome. Like, how, like just how ballsy is that? Yeah. <laughs> Can we say that on here? I just did. You so. just did. <laughs> I just did. Like John Knox was a dude. Yeah. So he, I think he would be pretty good. Yeah, that's great. I, uh, all of those would be good. Who who else? Maybe um maybe even. Maybe Billy Graham, that might be kind of interesting. Nah, maybe that'd be more of a biopic kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, Billy Graham is certainly a significant figure and interesting, but John Knox and and Martin Luther um, have such a – there's so many layers to their story, yeah. so many you know epic turns and twists <laughs> that I think would be would make for an interesting. That was what made Hamilton so interesting was all the, I mean the the duel that he himself died in and the Mm -hmm. story behind that the duel his son died in trying to defend his father's honor and all that stuff like you see that when martin luther's you know um his life is threatened and and you know he's opposing rome um it's like that to me would be interesting
0: you you can't make up a script for tv like you like martin luther martin luther's life yeah absolutely um next question uh, Matthew winter asks, and we were recording, we are recording this the day after MLK day. So he says in light of Martin Luther King day, so another Martin Luther, but tack on a King, uh, should Christians call good, good, even when God accomplishes it, accomplishes it through a heretic. If so, how do we bring to light someone's heresy without negating the good they accomplish? Does one not at least in the eyes of some invalidate the other? Um, so for the record, uh, MLK denied the divinity of Jesus. He denied the resurrection. He was a known uh, serial adulterer at the time of his death. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he, he was a womanizer, and so warts and all, that's what you get with with Martin Luther King. Uh, he he wasn't a saint, and but also but just like the guys we were talking about, like Martin Luther wasn't a saint. Uh, he had issues. <laughs> but you know here like, not, God, but yeah. just not to the point of being outside of the Christian faith. Exactly. I I think, I mean, at the risk of getting canceled, um, I'm pretty sure we've already done that to ourselves multiple times on this podcast.
1: This, this, I think this ties in with Hannah's question. Mm, Yeah. Because Martin Luther King jr, obviously significant impact and an enormous amount of good accomplished in the civil rights movement.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Okay did was God a part of that was God involved in that? Is that part of god's sovereign hand to eliminate social injustice in some way or or not eliminate it but to 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 minimize it to quail it mm-hmm. um I think so. I think there was yep. good accomplished there, there I, never would I say Martin Luther King did nothing right of, of any value whatsoever, certainly he did. You know, he promoted peace in the face of violence. You know, he he um, he he brought to light, he brought to the forefront some of the most gross and wicked, ongoing, habitual, cultural sins that were that were entrenched in our society. Yep. Uh, at that time, was he a pastoral figure in the kingdom? Uh, a a, a a pastor, teacher in the church, someone who was effective in exegeting scripture and promoting good theology—absolutely not, right? right? And we can we can absolutely. The the problem is the lines get blurry, and people people struggled, I think, mm-hmm. to differentiate him because he had sort of that pastoral presence, right? You know, he, right. he got up and preached with that sing songy kind of uh, mm-hmm. delivery that was really. Like that's synonymous with my background. That's yeah. the way Mary's grandfather preached.
0: Mm, okay, he was
1: a white man. Like there, we have records of him preaching, and he had that very much. He's on a pitch, right? And yeah. he's he's talking about the Lord, you know, and he's mm-hmm. doing that kind of thing. And that's what Martin Luther did. That's it's very moving, right? It's very emotional, and a lot of times feels like we're at church, but we're not. We're talking about something that is. Mm-hmm.
0: Not total- you you even had Barack Obama do that some, yeah, totally. depending on his audience yeah,
1: yeah. We're not, you know Martin Luther King's mission was not something that's totally irrelevant in the church, certainly it's relevant. racial tension and and racism and prejudice is is relevant in the life of the church. That's a relevant topic, but um i I just think we we would be wrong to confuse Martin Luther King as a church figure,
0: mm mm-hmm we we often and with historical figures and crap even current people like current politicians or like we were talking about Craig Rochelle like we can see the good and the bad right? right we want to caricature people to either totally white hat or totally black hat <laughs> And there with no mixture, uh, like to even back up in history, like Ben Franklin did a lot of really good stuff, but he was a deist. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he, yeah, he believed was. that God set the world in motion, said, All right, y'all figure it out.
1: Yeah. And, and wasn't he, he the one that hacked up the Bible? It, and, yeah. And, I was about so. to
0: go there and, and he, he, Made basically the Enlightenment Bible <laughs> which took out all the miracles and stuff and basically just turned it into moralism, uh, which is what we have now with progressive Christianity um,
1: you know you know well you know, here's what we have I think in scripture there are two things that come to mind is when you know Priscilla and Aquila pulled Apollos aside and corrected him yep you know if you're going to teach if you're gonna if you're gonna present yourself as a teacher of the Word then yes, there, we, we have to, we cannot say, well, you got all these things right about justification. Uh, but you're, you're teaching heresy about sanctification, mm-hmm. but we're going to ignore that because you're doing so good on James uh, justification. Right. No, that's ridiculous. We, mm-hmm. that's, that's where, uh, you know, per his question, the, the heresy would negate the good. We need to deal with that. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, I think, um, you know, and even Paul uh, before I move on, Paul would say to the Galatians, "If anybody comes and teaches you another gospel, you you call them anathema." You know, you mm-hmm. even if it's an angel. So there is a there is a contending for the faith, and that's Jude that needs to happen. Yep, where we do need to say, Martin Luther, you are absolutely wrong. That's heresy. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to despise the good he accomplished in yep. social justice and civil yep. rights at the same time.
0: All right, Justin Doherty says, and this is a little bit lengthier of question, he says, we have a gentleman who shows all the qualifications of an elder and desires that calling. He came to us, and so with how this is worded, it sounds like this guy has become a pastor at Justin's Church. Okay. Um, he came to us a few years ago with a Calvary Chapel background, which uses the model of pastor as Moses and an associate or elder as Aaron, so basically a lead and then secondary. Uh, he said, we function as a plurality where each elder is equal in the vote and authority, uh, and he and their lead pastor being staffed with specific roles in pastoral ministry, uh, though all of the elders could and will be asked to teach. Uh, This guy keeps using language and actions that seem to be that he thinks of the elder board, like a board of directors secondary to the lead pastor, Mm -hmm. uh, effectively their helpers to the CEO. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that? And, and you used uh, an illustration Sunday, uh, kind of disavowing yourself of the CEO guru. Yeah um, and propping yourself up more as a waiter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. which I thought was uh, what'd you think about that illustration? It, well, it was cruel because I was hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but the point was the point was sound, and yeah. I appreciated that part.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I said was is that I'm not a I'm not a CEO. Uh I'm not a guru. Um I I I'm and I'm not the chef. I'm the waiter. Yeah. I don't cook up the meal. I just come and serve. I come and tell tell you about it and mm-hmm. then serve it and bring it to the table and let you enjoy. That's my job. And I think that's a a healthy way for a pastor to think of himself. You know, this whole plurality of elders thing, um, I, I get like like my first response would be to, to try to be if. if have some compassion for this guy that he's maybe – because it's not a common thing to have a true plurality of elders yeah. in a local church, I don't feel like, in this part of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's more common to have a pastor who's a CEO type with a board of helpers. Right. And um, and I think I even thought of myself that way for a long time until – and we, we've we've expanded our eldership and brought about a plurality, and we're still having to – Relearn our language and retrain our language, I should say, uh, to make sure that we don't pr- we don't present uh, this notion that it's Bradley and the you know Bradley and the three dwarfs in terms of eldership. That it's we, we're right, and 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 we've even tried to avoid this whole notion of first among equals. Mm-hmm. Like we we like I've I've really tried to submit myself to them. If and,
0: if one of them has an issue with something that you're doing or whatever, then you would totally listen to that and absolutely say hold on like they are an elder Mm -hmm. even though you're an elder Mm -hmm. like they they have something to say to that
1: well and you know what's what's interesting is that we've had our our plurality of elders in place for just a little over a year now a year and a few months and we're just now starting to get to the point where we're having conversations about each other's strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Like we're starting to recognize here's what Bradley is really, really good at, maybe Mm -hmm. better at than the rest of us. Mm -hmm. But here's where he's weak, but here's where Donnie, that's where Donnie's really super strong. Right. And yes, we all need to be able to teach, but at the same time, we're all gifted and wired a little bit differently. And Mm -hmm. I think over time, Accentuating, highlighting, promoting the strengths of the different elders and letting the church see that, letting them see them function in certain ways, helps to sort of rid not only the elders themselves but the church of that faulty notion of mm-hmm. it's the pastor and then everybody else. So this yep. guy might just need some time to adjust, and there might need to be conversations mm-hmm. uh, to be had that are you know <clears throat> grace, grace and truth. Kind of thing. um, And and he would
0: obviously start that. Well, at least have the initial conversation uh, more gently. Yeah, exactly. Then, like, if it's five or six in there and he hasn't changed at all, then maybe you get a little more blunt, right? And
1: if the if the person who this guy perceives to be the lead pastor, senior pastor, CEO, and everybody else, if that guy is truly on board with this plurality model, then he might need to be the first one that goes to this guy and says, look, that's not how I see myself. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would do. Yeah. Is, you know, if I'm, if, if someone came here and was a part of the church and they were promoting me as sort of above and beyond all the other elders, I would be the first one, to sit down with them and say, no, that's not how we roll here. Right. And let me help you understand. I know I realize you may not have been yeah. a part of a church that has this model, but this is, this is how we see the eldership, not
0: just Bradley. Right. It, it, where if, where if I talked to Jonathan and it was like, well, Bradley said, yeah, exactly, effectively no. pits you against each other. And that's not how any of this works.
1: <laughs> and I think we have, in with our elders, we have, a solid enough foundation because we took so long to put it in place, and we yep. we've had so many conversations that if someone were to say to Jonathan or Donnie, Donnie, "Well, Bradley said, and I'm going to do this and so," we could deal with that pretty quick. Like, it, yeah, <laughs> we, we're already in a rhythm where that that wouldn't be an issue to deal with pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. Last question, Hayden Aiken. Awesome. A lot of long questions, which Mm -hmm. I'm okay with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hayden Aiken asks What's the difference between two people having quote unquote different opinions on something and one or both of them believing something verifiably incorrect? About something, he says. The spirit behind this question is that sometimes when I see people arguing on Facebook, uh, someone might attempt to resolve or dismiss their end of the disagreement as just a matter of difference in opinion, just agree to disagree. Uh, he says. I know this is ambiguous, but I figure many here have seen something like this. What's an opinion? What's a viewpoint on an issue that is funda- fundamentally flawed, but maybe is safe to be dismissed because uh, trying to get some everyone online. to to share your views as futile, and what's a belief that is so wrong that it needs to be called out and corrected instead of letting it be?
1: Is, is, are we talking about scripture here?
0: Uh, I, honestly, it sounds like this could be anything, whether it's scripture, political stuff, uh, conspiracy theories flying around, which is kind of a popular thing to talk about right now, right? Yeah, and I think, was it on the podcast last week that
1: I mentioned that Matt Chandler sermon? Yeah, uh, where you know he talked about the fact that you know pick your conspiracy theory, pick your opinion, pick your about politics or or social justice or you know whatever the pandemic coronavirus yep. you can find ample evidence to support your theory. Mm-hmm. So the problem that we have in dealing with this question is when it comes to social issues, um, you. There's no common basis upon which we have objective truth, right? It's just well, I listen, you know, the, the proverbial. I watch CNN, you watch Fox News. Mm. Um, there, there's no, there's no space to agree to disagree right. because those are those are absolutes unto themselves.
0: And even now on the right, you're getting to the point where it's well, you watch Fox News, so you're a sellout. Where I watch OAN, exactly. It, like, it's, it's really getting to that point even. Yeah.
1: There, there's there's, no, there's nowhere for us to go to find unbiased objective truth mm. or even objective facts. What yeah. are the facts? Tell me the facts about coronavirus, mm. Cody. Yeah. Tell me what those are. Right. And, and, and prove that your facts are the right facts.
0: Hey, hey, Uriel Ortega, your invitation to come talk about COVID still stands. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Uh, I just suck it up and do it, man. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know it, it's I, I saw where uh you know macarthur's back in the pulpit after some illness that he's been dealing with mm-hmm. and uh he did a q a uh on the vaccine like somebody asked him about would he take the vaccine and he made some what i took to be facetious remarks about you know if you, there's 98 percent chance you're going to get over covid quickly and 94 percent chance the vaccine works why reduce your odds you know it was kind of like which he was being facetious, yeah. But um, you know, his thing was, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. if 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 the rules for me to travel to a certain place require me to get the vaccine, and it's about the gospel and the kingdom, I'll probably mm-hmm. take the vaccine. Right. You know, it's like, it, 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 and I get that. I appreciate that approach because, like, who do you, who and what do you really believe and anchor to when it comes to things like that, and how right. effective it's going to be? We just don't know. Right. And when it comes to the truth of Scripture. That's where there might be some, like you and I might agree to disagree on post mill versus ah mill mm-hmm. or pre mill mm-hmm. because those things are not entirely black and white in scripture for us. Right.
0: Now, if you were going in a super hardcore like very dispensational, and, and a lot of dispensational preachers right now are kind of having a heyday with yep. the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, mm-hmm. that might get a little closer to, certainly. like, it would be a lot harder for someone who's post-mill or even a mill mm-hmm. or even historic free mill mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to, to actually be in that church without, uh, what's the best way to put it? not necessarily – having their conscience violated, but you get what I mean. Totally. Is is if that's in the pulpit every single week, like, we just need to hold out for the rapture and Jesus is going to yank us out of here. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe in a pre-tribulational rapture yep, a- yep. at all, and that's the big emphasis. Well, we're going to have, we're going to butt heads.
1: But e- and, but even there, we are, if you do that, if, if a pastor was doing that, they are they're majoring, not on a minor, but they're majoring on something that the Bible doesn't make explicitly clear to us. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so that's dangerous territory at that right. point. And, and you, you might not call that outright heresy, but what you might call that is just misappropriation. It's, right. It's, 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 it's not healthy. It's not good. And that's therefore not a healthy church to be worshiping
0: yet. Right. Now, in terms of – I know – on Facebook, you average like 1.2 comments a year in the podcast <laughs> that's lounge true, that's true. and maybe another three or four in the general Facebook, right? Yep, yep. I'm not a big poster. <laughs> right. Whereas I am more willing to engage, obviously, um, <laughs> for, for better or worse.
1: Um, Part of it, too, is that I don't, I don't write succinctly like right you, like right. You, you have a really good ability to in one or two lines synthesize your argument and i, I might have to write three paragraphs
0: right and, and, and sometimes that actually gets me in trouble though because, yeah. because i can come off as super terse or as a jerk or whatever and i'm not trying to be right i'm just trying to get to the point well, yeah uh, but in terms of kind of especially this last year has been so heated mm-hmm. online is one of my goals has been to try and get people to zoom out a little bit. Now, obviously there are some things that you can you kind of have to swing a hammer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Um, and, and I could, and I think I could go there with stuff like barring churches from meeting. Mm-hmm. That's not the government's job. That's right. And, and I will put my foot down on that. Mm-hmm. Now, if we want to talk about particular policies, I have very strong opinions on lockdown policies and stuff like that. I don't think they should happen. But I can zoom out and have a more reasonable conversation with somebody on that and kind of try and well here's this and here's this and we're probably not going to agree on everything and you know we we don't have to kill each other over that. Yeah. Right. Yep, yep. But if you tell me I can't meet for church on Sunday, we're gonna have a problem. Yep. <laughs> right. Like, and I think I think kind of having those uh, those distinctions between what's most important and what's not is mm. what we're lacking, yeah. Because it, you know, even in conversations I've had regarding whether the election was stolen or not, mm-hmm. um, or whether uh, I actually put out a blog, um, on my website, codyfields.com, for those of you who haven't read it, about the need for Christians if we're going to accuse Antifa. And this is what I use as, as my example of, if you accuse Antifa of being responsible, not just a couple people being present, but being responsible for the capital breach, then you have to back it up. Yeah. Like don't tell me to back it up. Mm-hmm. The burden <laughs> uh, of proof's on you. Exactly. And and if it you can't, then you're bearing false witness. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that is a really big problem, mm-hmm. right? And so what we need to be going for is truth. And we need to calm down. <laughs> well and, in general.
1: And you know, like you and I have had conversations over the years about your social media presence. Yeah. And I think you you have grown so much in that. And Aww. I think you're doing I, I really do. <laughs> Thanks. And I think I think that you you are stewarding that very, very well. And I cause I I'll go on and I'll look at the comments and I'll look at the threads and I see how you respond to that. And I think you know, people can learn a lot from you about helping people zoom out, not saying things that are going to fuel more anger and hatred and, and cynicism, but really just like, look. Let's 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 zoom out and calm down. I think I think you've done a good job with that on some of these hot hot button. Well, profits.
0: thanks. I that, really do. That whole let us reason together. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like I don't have to throw haymakers on every post. Yeah. Yeah. There is a there is absolutely a place for a haymaker. Yeah. Uh, there there is, and I would say sometimes there's even a a place to punch below the belt. Sometimes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which some people don't like would even criticize me for that, but. Um, and I've referenced Corey Truax like three weeks in a row. Go listen to Corey Truax's show. But he one of his things is, you know, most of life is normal. It really is. <laughs> most of life is absolutely normal. And so yeah. this last year has been abnormal. Uh, but it's one year out of how many?
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, you know, you could pick out like 2001 uh, mm-hmm. with September 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh you could pick out uh maybe the two thousand sixteen election. So a couple of elections. Yeah. So you're you're, less than ten percent of life is absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Most of life is kind of ho hum. You know, I get up and at least for us in this part of the world. Right. Let's let's
1: let's be clear about that. But But
0: even but even in like a third world country, most of their life is at least their perception of normal. That's true. I mean you know, they get up, they they have breakfast, they go work. They come home, they eat dinner, and they go to bed,
1: mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
0: in in a lot of cases, yeah, right. But you know, like I think the the the
1: thing we have to be careful of with social media and debates about these things on social media is that it's so easy to sucker punch people, yeah. Um, when you're not face to face with them, yep, it's asynchronous. Um, you you've got time to craft your oh yeah your response. You know, you I, I
0: know this feeling very well. That you it's described. like
1: like how many how many times have we all been in a conversation with somebody? Insults are thrown back and forth. There's an argument over something, and you come mm-hmm. away from that conversation and go, "Man, if I would have said this,
0: yeah, because you had yeah.
1: time to think about it. Like I would have really torn them down. I would have really, you know." Won the argument if I could have mm-hmm. said it this way if I'd have thought to say it this way in the moment. Well, that in some ways is a helpful benefit of face to face conversation. Right. Is that we don't we aren't as mean or as insensitive or as demeaning as yep. we might could be yep. if given time to think about it and not have to stare them in the face.
0: Several months ago, I actually had someone message me after, and it, it was a throwdown. Like it was one of those where I had to. I had to lay down the law mm-hmm. <laughs> in a comment and and I thought it was right for me to do so and this guy messaged me he's like man you wrecked him and I just wanted like that wasn't the point the point yeah. was wasn't for me to wreck him the point was truth mm-hmm. and sometimes it's a little more blunt <laughs> right oh, yeah well, I think
1: if we if we're going to try to navigate agreements to disagree on whatever the issue might be um, we got to watch our competitive natures, you know, yep. the desire to win the argument at the cost of the relationship, um, being willing to reason together, mm-hmm. um, th- all those kinds of things. I think, you know, Cody's a good one. You you should maybe do an episode on how to handle social media uh, and some of these arguments. Mm-hmm. You know, that might be a good thing for you to speak to.
0: Sure, and, and you know, I think one one myth that needs to be debunked is. Whether you want to call it arguing, debating, discussing, all of these things, whether online or in person, that doing so has no benefit right, uh, and that nobody ever changes their minds. That's bull crap yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, because people actually do change their minds. And I've had people come to me and say, hey, I thought about it and you were right. Yeah. And I've come to people and said, Man, you were right about that. Yeah. You know, and and, and that, I think
1: the media is portraying the exact opposite. And we've yeah. we've bought into the lie right. that debate and conversation isn't producing anything yeah. anymore.
0: And it and it even could be. So if as a post mill guy, if I'm if I'm having a discussion even in person with someone who's dispensational, at the very least we both sharpen what we believe sure and and we're still like that's one of those things where you're you're still well within orthodoxy mm-hmm. we we just disagree on that and it does affect how you live mm-hmm. right but at the same time if if i'm having to confront an argument from a dispensationalist that i've never heard before well i that's going to refine how i think about yeah. Post millennialism, right? Yeah. Totally. And that's that's worth doing in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. And you could get into the Calvinist and Arminian debate and mm-hmm. on and on and on and on. Yeah. Right. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Share the show if it has helped you or if it has hurt you. <laughs> Follow us, WestminsterFacts.com Facebook, Instagram. You know how it goes. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.